Hello, welcome to EVN Report. My name is Maria Titizian, and joining me today from Las Vegas, Nevada, is Dr. Nerses Kopalian, the author of EVN Security Report. Welcome to the program, Nerses. Thank you for having me, Maria. The security briefing for August, you entitled Azerbaijan's Madman Strategy and the Normalization of Coercion. After the 2020 war, that rhetoric did not ease. In fact, he has ramped it up to levels that are perhaps we can say from the realm of the unbelievable. And now we have a so-called peace process, which has clearly stalled because of the ongoing siege of Artsakh, where one side of the negotiation process is clearly not interested in peace. Uh, And we have seen uh, several instances of this uh, in the past three years. Uh, In your security briefing, you write that coercion is an intrinsic part of Baku's institutions and foreign policy doctrine and revolves around a number of precepts. This includes enforceable threats, reputation building, and making ostensibly extreme threats more credible. And this approach in international security studies is qualified as the madman theory. If you could, Nurses, please explain to us what this theory entails and how it applies to our situation. Indeed. So, you know, prior to the 2020 war, Aliyev did engage in extensive rhetoric that did qualify as coercive, but this was never operationalized into action. So it was generally perceived as warmongering or sort of, you know, chest banging, uh, perhaps even rhetorical brinksmanship. After 2020, this completely changed because everything that he said after that was backed up by force. And this is where the madman theory comes into the picture. This uh, basically concept, which has been applied to different leaders uh, in the last 30, 40 years, even all, all the way back to post-World War II period, attempts to understand a style of leadership that borders the despotic where the given leader engages in extreme or exceedingly maximalist demands. And they use this in crisis bargaining to achieve set objectives. And backing up these extreme or uh, maximalist demands is the notion of them having the credibility where those who are viewing this are kind of concerned that if we do not acquiesce or meet the demands of this so-called madman, then this individual reserves the right to engage in some form of destruction. And so generally speaking, this is either some notion of war or uh, some utilization of violence. And so what we have seen Aliyev do in this context is utilize the madman theory, where he basically says, if I don't get what I want, if my demands are not met, I reserve the right to use force. I'm basically a madman. Of course, madness doesn't qualify in this context as for sort of being crazy or mentally unhealthy, but rather is qualified within a domain of bellicose behavior. So the madman theory holds that a given despotic leader uh, always reserves the right to use force to achieve their objectives. The secret is if everybody perceives this madman's capacity to use force as credible, then that becomes an important tool of course of diplomacy. Nurses, has this madman theory been applicable, especially post-war, because of the asymmetry in power between Armenia and Azerbaijan? Is that a contributing factor to his posturing today? To some extent, it is. Uh, generally speaking, uh, the, the madman strategy is not only directed uh, towards the weaker party or the other party uh, in a conflict, it's also applied to all other stakeholders. 
So Aliyev's madman approach, for example, is used to coerce Armenia into giving concessions, for example. But it also works with the Europeans, with the United States, who are trying to facilitate the peace process. Because if they have accepted the logic that uh, the madman strategy defines the Aliyev regime, then what Aliyev does is the following. He simply says, negotiations aren't working out, so I'm going to use force which in essence triggers the Europeans and the Americans to rush over to create a new thing, a line of communication to attempt to appease or convince Aliyev not to use force. And thus, he tends to basically utilize that not only to threaten Armenia, but to threaten the entire process. So the shock value of having the right in one's perspective to use force allows the madman to use coercive bargaining as a technique. The Europeans have uh, fully bought into this. The Americans have not fully bought, it, bought into this. In that context, whenever uh, Aliyev engages in his usual bombastic rhetoric, it shakes Brussels, but it doesn't shake the United States because the United States understands, uh, to some extent, the strategy here. But fundamentally, to answer your question, the asymmetrical component is very important to exercising madman strategy. But at the same time, it's not only targeted against the adversary, it's also targeted towards other stakeholders in the process. Um, before I ask about how to mitigate um, this posturing, um, what does the, 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 the body of literature, um, academic literature, say about this? Um, in, you mentioned that post-World War II, that we have seen instances of this. Um, has it been possible to call the bully's bluff, if you will, uh, the bully being the madman, uh, to be able to stop him from uh, pushing forward his uh, coercive agenda. Right. So the general research, the general literature uh, since the 60s uh, does suggest that the madman theory does not work uh, or does not work efficiently or effectively if others don't buy it. Right. This is why the credibility argument is very important. So, for example, if nobody starts taking Aliyev's threats that he's going to use force every time seriously, that's going to mitigate his capacity to use force. And a lot of the research uh, demonstrates that the madman theory in time does create a credibility problem. Because if you're always going to threaten force, for example, to get what you want, let's say you do get what you want. What is going to stop you from using force again? And this creates a credibility problem. So a lot of research does show that the, the madman theory does produce uncertainty and lack of trust down the line, which creates more complications. Other studies have demonstrated that the madman strategy is primarily based on myth building or what we call reputation building, and it is heavily based on perceptivity. So it works as long as this perspective is bought into. But for example, once the facade collapses, then the madman theory doesn't work. The United States used this, for example, to call Putin's bluff. The whole argument that, for example, Russia might strategically use nuclear weapons in Ukraine was a component of a madman strategy. The Americans didn't buy it. They call that bluff. And so the facade collapsed. Um, there's also quite a few other studies that basically argue that uh, the madman theory might work in specific situations. This is known as situational extreme preferences, where in some extreme uh, situations they may work, but overall they tend to they fail to produce a long-term outcomes. So the overall body of literature basically demonstrates that the madman theory doesn't work or it does not have uh, a, a successful long-term strategy. 
in that context, uh, Olive is using this only in the current framework to achieve a victor's peace or a maximum outcome. But as this prolongs, the madman strategy is slowly going to collapse. The one perception, you, you spoke of perceptions, which is um, interesting for us because we live in this constant state of tension. Every morning we wake up and we wonder, has Azerbaijan attacked Nagorno-Karabakh? Has, uh, has it launched an attack against Armenia proper? Is part of the madman theory also imposing psychological terror on the adversary in this case? Could that be a component of it? Because when you're con- constantly concerned about it, then yes, you might then acquiesce to the madman, as it were? Um, that's a minor component of it. It's not part of the broader strategy. Uh, when we study sort of, you know, collective psychological warfare or, or sort of, the, you know, the collective inducing uh, of psychological trauma, that falls more within the realm of hybrid warfare. And Azerbaijan has tried that and has been very, very successful, to be honest. Uh, the madman theory is primarily defined towards diplomatic circles and being able to coerce adversaries or other stakeholders to acquiesce to the demands of the given despot. In that context, it is a, uh, it is a strategic approach at uh, attaining dividends and being successful within the domain of a negotiation process. Uh, the madman theory isn't designed, uh, nor does it work in sort of, you know, terrifying uh, collectively an entire society. So Armenian society, for example, is not afraid of Aliyev, the person, uh, but they are concerned that this individual may use force. But at the same time, they do understand that the force is used to attain certain political ends. In that context, because there's a rational calculus to this, you don't achieve the goal of collective psychological trauma, which is more visceral as opposed to rational. That's why it's a different configuration. Okay. Well, clearly it's within Armenia's security interest to try to neutralize the madman posturing or strategy of the Aliyev regime. And also, as you said, it's in or should be in the fundamental interests of the West as well to both discredit and invalidate this. But how is this possible? How does the West call Aliyev's bluff? Um, it's, it's very uh, simple in that context to both deny him credibility and also to limit his capacity to attempt to demonstrate the, uh, that credibility. So, for example, if Aliyev says the uh, negotiations have slowed down, I have no other option but to use force, and therefore I reserve the right to, right to use force, and as such I'm going to use force, uh, simple red lines by the West that deny Aliyev the capacity to exercise, quote-unquote, that right that he thinks he has, immediately allows for the collapse of the facade. So in that context, for example, if he's denied uh, the right or the perception that he's going to use force, he's no longer going to be able to utilize that technique. And the United States, to some extent, has done that. The Europeans have extensively suffered uh, uh, or struggled with it. Or, for example, if Aliyev is provided, he's given it, uh, an ultimatum by the West. If you use force uh, to advance your interest or to use force in the way that you use it, for example, uh, uh, in September of 2022, we will consider other means such as threat of sanctions or curtailing your involvement in X, Y, and Z. And Aliyev, as a madman, right, would no longer become a madman because the strategy won't work. In essence, that would become counterproductive. So there's obviously a risk-benefit calculation here that Baku is doing. 
And so the West can very easily deny the madman strategy by taking away the logic that Aliyev has the right to use force. Once you deny that credibility of using force, uh, the approach collapses. Now, of course, uh, you know, in, in the broader sense, there are no more nuanced uh, assessments or, or levels of force using force, having credibility, and denying this. But if Aliyev, for example, knows he cannot invade Armenia proper, any threats against Armenia proper no longer work as a coercive mechanism. Therefore, the madman strategy uh, collapses. So the, the issue is, to what extent is the West willing to deter and curtail Aliyev's behavior? And that curtailment would in of itself collapse the madman strategy. Armenia's approach is, is a little different. Armenia's approach is because it doesn't have the capacity at this point to curtail Aliyev's capacity to be a quote-unquote madman or to curtail his right, quote-unquote, right to use force whenever he wants to. Armenia's approach has to be defined what is now becoming the dominant uh, security strategy for us, deterrence by denial. In that context, Armenia doesn't fully engage the madman, but it methodically denies everything that the madman wants and therefore deters it. And this could be through various techniques of using international instruments, diplomatizing its security, so on and so forth. So when there's a power asymmetry, the attempt isn't to confront the madman, but to methodically deny the madman, and that would create a mechanism of deterrence. Right, understood. You said something earlier that uh, the United States is more willing, ready, or understands uh, the posturing, whereas the EU has not. Could we say that this is because of its strategic interests with Azerbaijan? Is this the problem that is preventing the EU from instrumentalizing certain tools it has at its hand? Well, that's one part of it. But more importantly, uh, EU is basically a soft power. So lacking hard power capacities uh, limits the ability of an actor to call the bluff of a madman. So unless the Europeans basically tell Azerbaijan, we will sanction you if you engage in your madman strategy, anything absent that, uh, they're not going to call his bluff because Aliyev knows that he could keep using a madman strategy to push the envelope and being convinced that the Europeans are not going to sanction him, the method works, the strategy works. And the and Europeans, of course, do not have the capacity to use a uh, hard power to curtail uh, Aliyev's behavior. So in that context, being limited to soft power capabilities and having certain policy orientations that they're not willing to burn at this point, Aliyev knows that very well. So when Aliyev says, I will use force to get what I want, the European initial response is, let's at least try to appease him because we know he's going to do it. And that gives Aliyev credibility. Americans all operate differently, right? America does have hard power capacity, so they know that they can use soft power and hard power if need be. So Aliyev remains a lot more careful in uh, the extent to which he tries to push the envelope with this madman approach when it comes to Washington. Nurses, in the last week, 10 days, we've seen heavy military buildup around Nagorno-Karabakh and also along some portions uh, of Armenia's border, state border with Azerbaijan. And there was a perception, a feeling that the invasion or an attack was imminent. And we were talking about this incessantly for days and days. And then we saw, now it seems to have cooled down. Has there been behind the scenes a kind of pressure on Baku to stand down at this point? 
or sort of calling out if it was a bluff or not? It's uh, not clear yeah, at this point. Most definitely. So yeah, this is a quintessential case of other madman strategy. All EF has a force buildup, which, which could be one form of brinsmanship, scaring Armenia into uh, meeting certain demands, or the, uh, the core of establishing credibility that they are going to attack one way or another because they can, and it basically reinforces the madman strategy. So that was clearly Baku's approach. Uh, definitely the Western and the American pressure stopped Baku from undertaking any operations because Baku is not going to engage in that level of arms and troop buildup not to do anything. That could also create a credibility problem. Uh, so in that context, it is very clear that they were going to do this. The arms buildup that we saw in the last 10 days is no different than what we saw in September of 2022, if not more. So in that context, the severity of, of Baku's posturing on the military front did suggest a pending uh, attack. What stopped it? Well, it wasn't the Europeans uh, as much as they tried because, as we noted, their soft power capabilities wouldn't allow them to completely deter Baku. It was definitely not the Russians because Russians have actually greenlit uh, all forms of behavior uh, by uh, Azerbaijan. But it was uh, the call by the United States, uh, you know, on September 1 when Blinken made a phone call to Aliyev. And there's been basically quite a bit of leaking going on from this talk, which suggests that the talk did not go well for Baku, that there was a lot of tension. And note that the, the transcripts or the, the uh, release of the conversation was released uh, four or five days after the talk, which suggests that there was a lot of tension. And then we have seen continuous engagement by Assistant Secretary of State Yuri Kim, who's been calling on a weekly, if not a bi-weekly basis, um, to Baku and Yerevan. So this active engagement by the United States is not accidental, in which where you have a very serious military buildup by Azerbaijan, but it has not at this point led to any action. So the deterrent factor is very, very clear. Nersa, since I have you on this podcast, I think it's also important that maybe we talk briefly about the security context, the security situation at the moment. Um, you know, every time we say it hasn't been as tense as it is now, and uh, it seems it's a continuum in our existence here in Armenia and Artsakh. But let's talk about the current security situation. As we know, since June 15, there is a complete and total blockade now with the ICRC and the Russian peacekeepers not being allowed to come into uh, Artsakh through the Lachin Corridor, which continues to be blockaded. Although Aliyev and his uh, spokespeople like Hikmet Hajiev would have us believe otherwise. And then we saw how the Ardam Road was used uh, by the Russians, the Russian Red Cross, bringing in one truck full of some form of humanitarian aid. What does this mean in the larger context? Well, it's you know, defined by both the specific context on the ground and the larger context that's defining the security process and the peace process. Uh, in more simple terms, what Baku did is they basically said, and then going back to the madman strategy, the negotiations have stalled or they're not going the way that I wanted. I have lost the narrative on the launching corridor. I tried everything in the last week and a half, two weeks desperately to win the information where I have failed. And so in this context, I have no other option but to use force to divert attention and to basically get what I want, right? So that was the posturing, the approach. Uh, and so the intense uh, American and Western pressure was designed to sort of call that bluff. 
Now, that being said, this is not simply an Armenia-Azerbaijan-West dynamic. There's the Russian factor as well. And Russia played the spoiler here. If the objective was to sufficiently pressure Baku into opening the Lachin Corridor with extensive, you know, uh, condemnations, back-channel diplomatic pressure, so on and so forth, Baku introduced a lever to release this pressure, and that was the Akdam Road. But both the Europeans and the Americans said Akdam cannot be an alternative to Lachin. Therefore, Lachin is prioritized, and Akdam can be a secondary and alternative uh, road. And so the mechanism of using Akdam as a release uh, uh, lever didn't work to the extent that Baku wanted it. But then in step in the Russians. And what the Russians did is they basically legitimized the Akdam road as a tenable alternative. And so contextually speaking, you had two developments. Russia postured itself as the so-called savior, bringing economic assistance, whereas, you know, the international Red Cross, the French trucks on the Armenian border, and the Republic of Armenia are not able to get anything in, but the Russians were able to do it. So there's that Russian PR component. But more than that, Azerbaijan basically got what it wanted. Uh, the route that it was seeking to open, open, but the core that it sought to keep it closed was closed, and Russia played a very important role in this. Um, and of course, Stepanakert's acquiescence here is really not a subject of conversation. When you're a geopolitical hostage, you really don't have much of an option here in, the, in that context. So this was part of the Russo-Azerbaijani collusion designed to both advance Russian interests, to allow Baku to get what it wants, and at the same time to make the, uh, the issue uh, local as opposed to what the West is doing it, internationalizing it. Uh, as far as the broader peace process is concerned, this minor configuration doesn't change too much. But as far as the security uh, environment is concerned, it does. Because what Baku is doing is they're going to continue utilizing brinksmanship and they're going to continue using the uh, troop buildup to keep pressuring uh, the international community to, to methodically acquiesce to its demands. So between losing the uh, information war and then the sort of, you know, Armenia dominating the narrative, Baku's options were limited. And so they utilized Russia to open Akdam while engaging in severe and heavy uh, troop buildup to basically scare all of the stakeholders into at least acquiescing to some of its demands. And the drama continues, as it were. Nurses, thank you for your time. Thank you for explaining the madman theory. We started the security report last September because of the massive incursion uh, offensive against Armenia proper on September 13th. That was yesterday. And we were hoping that we would no longer have to do these security briefings, but it seems that uh, in the foreseeable future, we will continue doing them. Thank you for bringing some context and understanding to the security uh, atmosphere in Armenia and the region. Thank you. I appreciate it.